Warning. What you're about to listen to contains spoilers for season one and two of Insatiable. So if you haven't watched those, go binge them, come back here, and we'll help you digest it. Oh, there you are. Welcome back. Guys, thank you so much for all the support, all the feedback you guys have been sending, for subscribing and telling your friends and sending us quotes online of your favorite parts of the episode. It's been really so much fun talking to my Insatiable co-stars, reminiscing and giving you guys a look behind the scenes and hopefully a little bit more insight into the process of creating the show and uh, all of our kind of like hearts and brains and work that's gone into it. Really has been so much fun. So thank you for listening. And today we have a very big and exciting episode in this little insatiable mini series. It's the one you've all been waiting for. You know him from The Walking Dead, The Good Wife, probably some fancy off-Broadway show. But I know him as Patty's coach, lawyer, brief crush, boyfriend's dad, accomplice, and the one with who I am fated, Bob Armstrong. So he is very elusive and hardcore New York City boy. So I packed up my podcast rig and flew all the way to gorgeous Manila in the Philippines, where Dallas and I were doing a brief press trip for Insatiable Season 2. And there I cornered him into a conversation. The multi-talented and incredibly pretentious Dallas Roberts, everyone. I'm genuinely thankful for you, Debbie Ryan. I'm a little annoyed, if I'm honest, because, you know, you're taking the DR sort of monogram and you're robbing me of half of it. We have been on a ride together. Mm-hmm. In fact, like, it's funny that this thing brought, like, like, there's no world in which I would have met you. No. There's no world in which we would have been friends. No. And if I met you on a different project in a different capacity, yeah. if I met you at an event, if I saw you in a play, like it wouldn't be this. Like you're you're one of the goods. Thanks. So you've been working for a long time in ways that are very respectable and less neon. And there's something about this that caught your attention and caught your eye. And even, you know, what we know that it is now the reception would have been different. If I had had all two seasons of these scripts, I would have had a significantly different reaction than that pilot read. But the pilot got me, right? And I decided yeah, yeah. to do it based off of the pilot. So what, totally. based on the pilot, was like, I got to do this. For me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What was your relationship with being on TV? Did you want to be on TV? Like, what was it? Yeah, yeah, no, I don't mind. Like, I don't, I don't I thought really... you were a film guy. No, yeah. There, well, Walking Dead, I guess. Yeah, there's no, there's no, I don't, I really don't perceive a, 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 a difference. They're different skill sets for sure. Like film and television are the same in terms of skill set. Um, the stage is something, and it's another skill set, but it's not, I don't perceive any of them as like radically different. And I'm a storyteller. I tell stories. I can do it from the stage. I can do it on the camera. I can do it in a puppet show. And I will, if you have a dollar, contact my agents, UTA. No one wants, no one wants your puppet show. Not my puppet show. I just want to be in one. No one wants you to be in there. I just, but if they offered it to me, I would but audition. I would audition. No, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't let you read. Okay. All right. So I guess my dream is dead. Um, <laughs> no, uh, uh, I mean this, if anyone who is a writer for a living hears this, 
I want to acknowledge uh, that I don't. I can't write a postcard, but, and, and I respect the craft entirely, uh, and uh, please go forth and do it. Um, in my job, I read a lot of scripts, and a lot of them are horrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you still, I still go out for them. You know what I mean? The job's a job. This script, it jumped on me. Why does something jump on you? Why do you fall in love? Why is, you know, the Amalfi Coast of Italy, why does it grab you by the throat? Like, what, why don't you like ketchup? There's no explaining taste, do you know? Yeah. It just got me. For whatever reason, I read this script and I was like, I know exactly what to do. I know, I know what I'm going to do. And I went into the audition and I said to the guy who was putting me on tape, can we change the order of the scene because what I'm going to do is going to be crazy. And I can't like, I can't start here. We got to build up to here. And I did this crazy audition, which is exactly the Bob Armstrong that you know from the show. He's out there. He's a live action cartoon. And I went there and then I, you know, left and turned left on 7th Avenue and went about my day and forgot about it. And they called back three days later and they were like, can you come back in and do it, but don't do all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, but that's how, like, that's how I, I knew that's how, that's him. The, yeah. I, I knew how I was going to do it. And so I came back and I did it without all the stuff. I did it straight, like naturalistic. And then they called like three days after that and they were like, cool, can you come back and do it crazy again? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was, a, it, it remains to this moment the biggest leap in terms of like who I am, how I motivate around the world as Dallas Roberts and a character. Mm. Like there's so many things I put on for him. The voice, the mannerisms, the energy, the, the like that aren't that's specifically so funny. me. Because I, I feel like I know you pretty well. Yeah. You're like an actor, actor. <laughs> and you say things like, I really am. As an actor, or I'm a storyteller, which are both things that you've said so far. It's which very think. pretentious. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. it. Where did you go to school, Della? I went to the Juilliard School. Oh, is that true? For music and drama. Oh, an arts and college. And dance, if mm. I'm honest. Well, yeah, no, I know I'm pretentious. And I know <laughs> I do. And I know I'm affected. But I do know that I genuinely believe that my job and our job. And this show is important. I believe that when us crazy artist types get together and create a weird world that doesn't really exist, but that people watch and find a piece of themselves in and feel less alone on the planet, I really, really do think it's fucking noble work. And I know it's pretentious, but it's noble enough that I don't mind being a pretentious. I don't mind you being pretentious about it either. Thanks. <laughs> um, circling back a little bit, and this can be just like an either or question. You don't have to elaborate on this one. When it got you by the throat, was it Bob or was it the script? Was it the tone? Was it Lauren's writing? Like, it was the script. Um, yeah, it was the script. I can't create, give me a canvas and paint. I'm suck. Give me a blank paste, piece of paper and a pencil. I suck. Give me extraordinary writing and I know I can help you. I can help you. And I don't create, I interpret someone else's creation and then 
make it suitable for the masses. This is the truth. And I thought it was such a, such a remarkable sort of, uh, you know, first hour of something like a pilot of something is, is the, is the genesis of it. And so you're just like looking at a possibility, you know, and I'm looking at the possibility of this and it's, it's perfect. It's literally perfect. Like when I went in to test for the role and I met Lauren Gusses, who I love genuinely, but I'm about to sort of, you know, I like when she, when I saw like her in the room, I was like, oh my God, that's her. That's the woman who wrote the perfect script. And like, then I auditioned and I, and I got the job and then I had time to actually sort of interface with her and we were talking about the script and all the way it works and, uh, you know, and it, it's, it remains an incredible piece of work, but part of my, my vibe was, and I love Lauren, the way that every single time Bob meets his father, he hurts him physically. Like Bob like tripped his dad and then he put a pin on him. And like every, he met him three times during the, the pilot and every single time he hurt his father physically. And I was like, and I just, I think that's I'm such a genius thing. And she was like, he does what? So being on set with you and seeing you then kind of translate that and understanding that you initially responded to what I heard, have heard you describe as like a punk rock approach, you know, upon getting to know her and getting to interface with her a little bit more, did you become more aware of exactly how she approaches things with a levity and a weight and like th her juxtaposition of handling things in a way that seems so flippant and really like kind of volatile and just neon, but is not reckless. It's actually all by design and so thoughtfully curated. Yeah. I mean, what I would say, like, I'm sorry to be the pretentious actor again. I really I am. didn't mean to make you self-conscious about it. It's no. who you are. And that's why I have no, you here. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I know who I am. No, I went to a school that uh, I, I learned Chekhov and Ibsen and Shakespeare. And I learned the tip of the tongue and the lips and the like. The I, teeth, the tongue. What yeah. is it? Um, the lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue. Very nice. I learned a bunch of form. And my joke about the, that drama training that I received is that I they uh, put us out at the end of four years on the bleeding edge of acting technology in 1783, but I graduated in 1994. <laughs> but that form still informs how I do what I do and learning and they're, they're the strictures of the, of the rules are necessary because once you learn them, you can express yourself. So Lauren, who she's got the fucking three-act structure, like in her back pocket, she knows how to write for television. She's not trying to like figure it out anymore. She's got she it. She got it, yeah. And now it's her. Now you can, through all of the rules and all the laws, you can hear her voice. Mm. And it's like, she's fucking punk rock. Like it's those, it's three chords. It's fast. It's powerful. And it's, if you like are a casual listener, it sounds like the other punk rock songs. Those are the sure. rules, loud and fast. But with her, you can hear her come through. And what I, what I was attracted to about 
it is how wide ranging that first hour of television is and how it fits into all the structure, but how you hear that singular voice come through and like Hollywood, sorry, I'm a New York guy. Like they wanna, like, like decisions by committee is the way that town runs and television, it's hard. It's hard to get like a singular voice mm -hmm. coming through. But Lauren Gus's voice is singular. And when you hear it, it breaks through all of those rules and all of that structure. It breaks right through with who she is. And that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's the magic. Yeah. Um, when you're on set and you're communicating with Lauren, so season one, Lauren was there a lot more. Yep. Season two, you know, we had a couple writers come, but mostly Lauren had to hold down the room. Uh, when she is on set, you guys have a lot of conversations. And that, I think, informs a lot of, like, collaboration. I've been a part of things that have a showrunner that sends it and doesn't show up. And we've talked about some of your other jobs and Lauren is very there and very involved. And of course, she's communicated that every single one of these people is a, a little bit of her avatar of insatiability in different ways. And we're all kind of walking those out. And in the same way, of course, she's protective over Patty. And there are times where I will be like, I don't know, I don't understand this. And why would I do this? And how could it be this way? And of course, being the sh what the show is, we have to suspend disbelief. We have to yeah. go on the ride. Yeah. How do you reconcile having that conversation? I can't escape who I am. I am the pretentious actor. Fellini said, all art is autobiographical. And it's created by Lauren. And certainly, you know, my character is largely based on a guy named Bill Alverson, who's a real life pageant coach. But part of Bob Armstrong is Lauren Gussis. And part of every character in the show is Lauren Gussis. And as we've moved on, part of my character are various members of the writer's room. We all sort of band together to create this tale and I'm pouring my life into it as well. And you are as well. We are, we're reflecting our own selves in the characters that we create in the stories that we tell. It has to feel right. Yeah. And when it does, hopefully, then that's the thing that makes the people who watch the thing feel like, oh, I know that person that person's me too. And then you don't feel alone. And then art has a purpose. And Jesus Christ, I'm boring myself with pretension. <laughs> um, when I read the script, when I read the pilot script, I didn't know. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know. We none of us knew where it was going. And it's very easy to assume that if a man acknowledges that he is in love with men, that he's going to be a gay character, especially because of all these tropes of masculinity. Well, and uh, I don't mean to cut you off. Uh, what uh, was fascinating about him was that he was a pageant coach. He was very in touch with that side, but he was also married and he had kids. I mean, it's a Kinsey scale, right? We're talking about the yeah. scale. So we're talking about the spectrum. But I but I would agree that I have not seen a bisexual male portrayed by a man on television before either. And what I loved about Bob Armstrong is that he is 
genuinely awakened by this idea. Do you know? Because if you if you follow us, like if you're with us, you love us. And we're terrible. And we make mistakes left and right. Our characters make grander mistakes than I have made in my own life, which is a fucking hard to do. <laughs> but like they do. But I think that's the joy of it. Like it's hard to find someone to root for an insatiable. So what I learned is that I was like, well, it's, you know, I've never judged Patty and I've You can't as an actor, right. Yeah. Course, right. But judge as an actor. You can't look from the outside. Like you have to justify it and you have to understand it and you have to be motivated to do it and find the humanity in it, no matter how soulless it might seem. And so in no it like in knowing that it's maybe not Patty that objectively someone could root for because you're like, no, 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 do, do the other thing. Wait, no, don't do that. Uh, I have looked and been like, oh, well, there's surely there's characters who are doing it right. And uh, there are none. I, I, it's funny that you say that because I root for all of them. Mm. Like I believe in all of them. I want all of them to be, I, I, maybe root. I also root for all of them and also I can't stand by any of them. No, no, I, I, Debbie and I are on, in the middle of a press tour and you answer a bunch of questions uh, a lot. And I found myself saying multiple times today, like, I love Bob Armstrong so much. I love him. I don't know that I could stand him in real life. Yeah. Yeah. So in season two, there were a lot of difficult things. There were a lot that we learned about our characters. Sarah Colonna and I were talking and I says to Sarah Colonna, I says... I says to Sarah Colonna, I says... I says to Sarah Colonna, I Sarah, says... Sarah, I says... Sarah, hey, what was in the vial, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was in the vial, Dallas? Um, what was in the vial is uh, baby formula. It's uh, neutral. And uh, if you happen to... Uh, I've... Yeah. I've done a lot of fake cocaine and <laughs> I have in my career. Yeah, it's basically baby formula and it you can it, it tastes like milk dropping down the back of your throat. That's exciting. All right, so this is the true or false portion of the podcast. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. True or false? You single-handedly brought Tevas back. True. Absolutely true and Debbie Ryan will you'll you'll back me up. Everyone was making fun of me in season 1 for wearing Tevas and Tevas with socks. Well, everyone, grips, electric, everyone's making fun of me wearing Tevas. And then who made that dress? Philip Lim. Philip Lim and uh, many others put Tevas on the runway. And the second season, Debbie Ryan is wearing Tevas with socks. I told you you were my fashion cred for that. I gave I'm you that. I'm a trendsetter. By the way, there was a Who What Wear UK article about Tevas style with a bunch of different summer things. So it was you and the Who What Wear article. But anyway. It's probably mostly me, though. No, it was mostly you. And and you my planted dozens the of followers. True or false, you have hiked Mount Kilimanjaro. That is factually correct. You want to expand on that or is that just... Oh, I thought the true and false was yeah, just right. to limit me from rambling the way I have been. Okay. Um, no, I did. I, I, I have hiked uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. I made it to the top of the mountain. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. What's more like incredible than the achievement is the people who get you there because people aren't supposed to exist up there. Isn't there like 20 seconds at the top? It's right. not 20 seconds, but... Um, you, to, you can't like linger. You, there's no... You can't show uh, the uncut Godfather movies at the top. Well, you also can't do that in my living room. I'm going to fall asleep in 30 minutes. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
You've only seen the first 30 minutes of The Godfather? Well, I've seen them in 30-minute increments. Oh, uh, right. You, you, you binge-watched The Godfather. I'll tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> True or false, you met Alyssa Milano before the show. False. Entirely false. I uh, am a man of a certain age, and uh, I grew up with Alyssa Milano being on TV. When they cast us and we did it, I remember sitting at the hotel bar that we all stayed in when we were shooting the pilot and having a drink with Andy and Lauren and them going, oh my God, do you know who we just got as your wife? And I was like, who? And they were like, Alyssa Milano. And I like, I fell on the floor because she's an icon. And uh, if I can plug Alyssa Milano for just a second. Check yourself out. That bitch is a badass. And I know that naysayers have their opinions, but she didn't invent 20 late 2010s, 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19 uh, political Alyssa Milano. Alyssa Milano went on the Phil Donahue show and like kissed, hugged the first kid who had HIV in like 1986. Like she's been repping her thoughts in the public sphere bravely and on in the right causes for a long, long time. And so to have her as my wife and my sparring partner on the show is an is an honor as an actor, but it's also an, an honor as a like a human being. I think she's genuinely a hero, and I don't say that lightly. You're surrounded by babes and legends. You're surrounded by generations of legends. It was not only your wife Hessel Milano, but your lover is Beth D'Angelo. Yeah. Were you excited about on Beth the, D'Angelo? Yes. I mean, again, men of a certain age. Holiday bro. How can you forget? I apologize for my singing, but National Lampoon's Vacation is seminal. Beverly coming on the show, especially as my sort of foil and then my actual sort of post-lover and, and all of the things. It's it's every There's a very graphic scene in season one where she's trying to, one would say, molest me in a hotel room. And I'm fighting as hard as I can to not let that happen while she brilliantly is trying to shove her tongue in my mouth. Like I have to, as an actor, fight against the idea of Beverly D'Angelo kissing me. But my 13-year-old self would be like, what are you doing? Kiss Beverly D'Angelo. So we're going to circle back because I never got my compliment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I, needed, I was ready for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I needed it to be... I needed it to be someone good. I needed it to be good. I needed Bob Armstrong to be, I needed him to be everything. I needed him to help me. I didn't want to go to TV. Are you Patty now? No, 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 no. I'm Debbie. I needed right. whoever booked Bob Armstrong. Oh, you know, right. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. My yes. Bob. I know what I, yeah. You know, I'm, I needed I'm with my you. anchor to be someone that could carry it and move it and, and help me. And I didn't want to go to TV. And this was a, scary thing and being on CW was out of my wheelhouse and the script was a full thing and had a, such a specific tone that I didn't think belonged on the CW and neither did the CW and neither did Netflix. Apparently. But, uh, and then I met you and you were more than I could have anticipated and truly everything I could have hoped for and are an amazing sparring partner and make me better. And I watch my performance. I'm like, oh, I blink when I hide. If someone gives me a compliment, I blink. If I'm impressed, I blink. Like it just is, I hide behind my eyes. And I see myself do it when it happens for Patty and she is afraid to be vulnerable and I see her do it. And it works because she's afraid to be vulnerable, but how much more powerful would it be if I didn't blink? And yes. so I watch it and I find it, but truly you have made me better and are a great sparring partner. And now you get to talk about me. I'm going to do the 
the what do they call it? The, the backhanded compliment? No, give me a front-handed compliment. Yeah, I'm gonna do the whatever the opposite of the backhanded compliment is. The front-handed compliment. It's gonna sting at the beginning, but I mean it. I don't know. I also like they said, Yes, you got the job. And I was like, Great. And then they were like, Your co-star is Debbie Ryan. And I apologize. I was like, who? And then I did not go to Instagram or Twitter or... How would you have in your web browser? You don't have logins for exactly. these things. Yeah. No, that's what I mean. I went to the Google and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to carry this Disney princess through the show. That was my first thought. And I've, I've done it before. Not Disney princesses. I have uh, lent an air of um, whatever. I've been that pretentious guy meeting someone who's way, 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 way more popular than I am on a thing. And I thought, okay, I'm, I have my work cut out for me. And I'm, I'm know that you know this and I don't even know why I have to say it on tape, but Debbie Ryan, I mean this, I mean this, like you fucking surprised me and rocked me and you made me better and you keep me on my toes and you like I was prepared to come in and show some kid how to like act really honestly pretentious I was and we sat across from each other that first scene and I was blown away and I continue to be I have loved every second of my time together with you the fact that like we like got less and less time together as the show went on, I felt genuinely, genuinely disappointed in because I, I love doing my job and turning and seeing you on as my on the other side. I lo I love knowing that I can throw you anything and that you'll hit it back harder than I hit it to you. I love knowing that I have your back and that you have mine. I formally apologize for judging you before I met you. And for thinking that I was going to teach you anything. Because I genuinely am better at my job for this time working with you. Thank you. Sure. How's that for a fucking compliment? That's it. That's the whole podcast. <laughs> um, Dallas Roberts. Debbie Ryan. In light of this conversation and our time together. Yeah. And us being in the Philippines. Yeah. And us spending five months together in this weird summer camp. Yeah. After the first six months together in this weird summer camp. Mm -hmm. After the first month together in this weird summer camp. Yeah. And being here. Yeah. Dodging crazy. Yeah. Juggling crazy. Yeah. In light of this conversation, what are you grateful for? I'm going to start, I mean, end where I started. I'm genuinely grateful for you. The friends of the podcast will know that that's true. And I'm thankful for the uh, Juilliard School. <laughs> Dallas, you're yeah, unlikable. I know. You're so lovable in real life and you're so unlikable on this okay, podcast. I'm going to, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to end with uh, uh, another pretentious quote. Someone once said, if you do something really, 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 really well, most of the people won't know that you did anything at all. And that's what I based my career on. And that's what you're grateful for? Or? Yeah. Yeah. The quote, the principle, for, or for you? No, I'm grateful for, yeah, I'm grateful for if you do something really, really, <laughs> really well. Most people won't know that you did anything at all. I love that. Yeah. For uh, friends of the podcast listening in 
3872. I'm your historical footnote in the entertainment business, Dallas Roberts. Glad Julie Hart accepted you, not me. Exactly. I needed something. <laughs> love you. I love you. Dallas Roberts. He is available for any and all bookings. Got a birthday coming up, special occasion. He'll be there. I'm his manager now. Like, obviously, Dallas and I enjoy each other's company, and it's just a testament to how much we care about our work on Insatiable and the magic of that environment. One of the biggest issues that Bob Armstrong deals with during the course of the series is his self-worth and navigating his own mental landscape. And at his lowest moments, he entertains the idea of taking his own life. Ultimately, when he discovers the truth about his mom, he learns not only does depression and suicidal tendencies run in his family, but he discovers the damage that it can leave behind and chooses to seek help from a friend and get out of his own way so he could avoid making the same mistake. That's a very scary thing to do, and it's very brave. And the same is true for you if you need or want help, if you find yourself in a dark place, if you don't think there is any hope or help, if you're a little scared by what your mind is telling you, there is help. There are people that want to talk to you. One of the places that I can point you to is an organization called To Write Love on Her Arms. They're a gorgeous nonprofit dedicated to presenting hope for people struggling with depression, addiction, self-injury, and suicide. I grew up with a large awareness of them and the work that these people do, and I've gotten to know Jamie, the founder, and a couple people and they really are incredible people who just care about you and want you to know that there is hope and want you to live the fullest life possible. So if you're feeling stuck or in a bad place, they have volunteers standing by to talk. And you can just text TWLOHA to 741741. That's TWLOHA to write love on her arms to 741741. And if you want to support their work, you can head over to TWLOHA.com to volunteer, donate, or learn more about their mission. You guys deserve hope. You deserve to fight new every day. And it can be really tricky. And there is no rule book. And we're all figuring it out together. And that has been such the beauty of discovering more about the human condition through your feedback on not only the show Insatiable, but also listening to the podcast. So thank you guys. Thank you for listening. It has been really, really beautiful and so much fun. We'll definitely be coming back soon with more guests, some consultants and experts and really interesting people that I'm just obsessed with and think that you should fall in love with too. So make sure you're subscribed. Leave us a five-star review. That way you won't miss it. And if you've got a minute, just tell someone about the pod. Let them know what you like and think is cool. Go over and follow us at There You Are Pod on Instagram or thereyouarepod.com or wherever you get podcasts. Bye.